Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by BKCW. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of On3 and Inside Texas. Guys, we're inching closer to the Sugar Bowl, but let's talk about what the coaches are doing. It does feel like inch, it feels like inching closer, right? It's going to be a long month, even though we're in signing period of formal madness. <laughs> that, that's right. Well, hey, before we even begin, for those of you that are tuning in, be sure to drop where you're watching from, listening yes. from, whatever it may be in the chat. We definitely want to see that. But, guys, even though they, they are not practicing yet, the coaches are busy. They're out on the road. Uh, Jerry, I know they were at a five-stars house last night. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, and Blake Gideon made an in-home visit with Florida five-star commitment uh, Xavier Phil Samee last night. There you see the photo. Um from that official uh, in-home visit. Um, what I can say is, look, I mean, Texas uh, continues to have some growing momentum there. Uh, Billy Napier, Austin Armstrong, and the new defensive back coach hire, which they've decided on who it is. I don't know when Florida's going to announce it, but they will make an in-home visit next week. Uh, they'll make one last attempt to try and hold uh, Phil Samee. Obviously, Phil Samee and his family are scheduled to be uh, make an official visit to Texas December 15th through 17th. So, uh, look, Texas and Florida have engaged in some uh, recruiting battles this year. I put out a, a photo yesterday on Twitter uh, to Shard Choice at IMG send Jarrett Gibson. Uh, Jarrett Gibson, I talked to him yesterday, and he told me that uh, – and I reported this on Inside Texas uh, in the uh, Thursday morning. He reported to me around 10 a.m. Thursday morning that he didn't think he would make an official visit to Florida. So we'll see. Uh, Florida was by IMG Thursday as well per a source at IMG, but it wasn't Javar Luke or Billy Napier. It was they went for offensive line and linebacker. Uh, so that wasn't um, that wasn't a visit to see Jarrett Gibson yesterday. Obviously, uh, Gibson's family lives in Gainesville, and Florida will keep trying uh, to get him on campus. Jaden Ball is the running back out of Georgia that Florida's also trying to flip from Arkansas, I believe. They want one more running back in the class, but I feel pretty good about uh, the source at IMG would be very surprised. He said very surprised if Gibson didn't sign with Texas on the 20th. Uh, staff's on the road. I can, I can relay this. I just put out a story on Inside Texas. Um, coach, uh, look at where the coaches have been on the road this week um, with, you know, tweets, big photos and everything. Uh, they're making an in-home visit with Wardell Mack uh, in about 45 minutes, around 9, 9.30 this morning. Steve Sarkeesian, Terry Joseph, that's their in-home with Wardell Mack. Uh, so that, that the, the staff's on the road. I know Justin Wells has reported that uh, Sarkeesian and Chris Jackson are making their in-home with Ryan Wingo Saturday. Uh, so there's a lot going on. Um, it, it, coaches are on the road, uh, so um, the, and that will continue. Hey, Jerry, I want to circle back to Xavier Filsamee because I think that he's the hot topic right now. Obviously, uh, the five-star safety out of McKinney that's currently committed to uh, Florida, but uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, was in home yesterday with, I believe, uh, that was Blake Gideon uh, alongside him in that photo. The question I have here, and, and based on what I've read elsewhere, uh, is that, um, and this is from our cohort at the Florida site in the On3 network, is that he feels, Keith Niebuhr feels like Florida is fading a little bit right now and beginning to be a little bit more truly concerned. Do you think that's obviously kind of what you're imparting here and that you think Texas is gaining momentum in that regard, correct? 
Yeah, yeah, where I've come out, and look, anything can happen in recruiting, right? We all know that. But where I've come out on this, um, and and I, I did a uh, video on this with Josh Newberg and on three uh, national, is that, uh, look, I thought if uh, the official visit was set up, which it was, then Sarkeesian, uh, Blake Gideon made an in-home visit leading up to next weekend's official visit. I mean, things are really starting to line up for Texas. And, I, you know, obviously they're working from a position of strength. And Billy Napier, despite being committed, they're working from a position of weakness in this. I mean, the class, a lot of guys, that class has taken on water defensively. I don't think they're done um, with guys jumping out of that class, honestly, Um, and then having a new defensive backs coach in a short amount of time uh, to build a relationship where Corey Raymond was the best relationship uh, for Florida in the Phil recruitment. I mean, I think Texas is working from a position of strength right now. That's that's great. Um, in the in the portal game, uh, I think I want to bring that up next, uh, Blake. Casey uh, Kane. There's now six Longhorns in the portal uh, that uh, are now former teammates. Uh, a couple of them have stayed on for the for the championships, uh, but not all of them. Uh, Casey Kane yesterday was the name that came out. The wide receiver out of New Orleans. He is not going to be available. We don't believe. Uh, or he's actually going into the portal today. I'm r- r- ruffling through my papers. So I don't forget anybody. Xavion Bryce, uh, the cornerback. I'm just going to do it out of memory. Sawyer Gorm Welch, offensive lineman. B.J. Allen, safety. Larry Turner Gooden, safety. And Jalen Catalan, safety. All in the portal. So Texas loses three safeties uh, to the portal. Of note, new entries to the portal of interest. Matthew Golden, University of Houston. Uh, wide receiver, kick returner. Uh, he is now in the portal. I do believe Texas will have interest in Matthew Golden. Uh, so uh, we each and every day we're going to add names to the portal um, and tell you if Texas has added any and if there's any new entrants that we believe Texas might have some real interest in. Of course, uh, Texas uh, has already reached out to a guy like Walter Nolan. They're going to be looking at any kind of defensive disruptor uh, they can find. Uh, there are a couple of those out there, uh, including Trey Moore out of UTSA uh, and possibly Fadil Diggs from AM. I mean, a bunch of them. They're going to look. Doesn't mean it's going to happen that way. And we know people have already kind of put the cart before the horse there. That horse has not left the station as yet, or the train hasn't, uh, so to speak. So be careful about that one. Uh, at wide receiver, we believe they need two at least uh, this year in the uh, transfer portal. Need one tight end. Right now, we still believe Holden stays. Of uh, uh, of uh, of Notre Dame uh, may be the leading candidate there. We'll see. And, and Holden stays has, uh, I think, uh, per Chad Simmons had some visits elsewhere other than Texas. So we'll see there if he's just going to stay closer to uh, home in Atlanta. This go round, Tennessee uh, is a possibility. So we'll see there. Yep, interesting. And then you've got a bunch of different guys in the secondary. Andrew Makuba, uh, the safety cornerback, really. Uh, not cornerback. He's been playing nickel for the last two years uh, with Jade Barron leaving. It's thought that that's where he fits in at the long, for the Longhorns. He's the, originally an Austin LBJ product. Porto, yeah. Portugal. My goodness. There we go. Man, we're, we're live, somebody's away. living right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Korea, Portugal. I think uh, Venezuela. I mean, we're we're everywhere this morning. So that's awesome. Thank you all for for checking in with us and letting us know. Hey, I saw I, Blake. I saw Lake Palestine. I'm jealous of that. I'll yeah. put it that way. I like that. <laughs> um, Ray Potter's asking, was Hayes Fawcett Mary Flipmas tweet for Xavier 
uh, Phil Simi. I I don't think anything's going to happen that quickly with Xavier Phil Simi. I think uh, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of flips that are going to happen. Um, I don't think things happen uh, you know today with Xavier Phil Simi. Uh, we got we got some more questions regarding Phil Simi. I want to go ahead and just knock out real quick. Uh, first one from Terrell Hennigan. If Phil Simi signs, is he basically penciled into the two deep? I mean, Phil Simi's an early enrollee. So he would come in, and it, uh, he would come in competing right away. That I can say. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious right now. I'm not say I'm not sure saying penciled in because a lot of times when these freshmen come in, they start third string and work their way up. <clears throat> and then this next one from Zane Petty, he says, "Jerry, it feels to me a true ten point five guy. You know, he ran ten five two and ten five five as a." Uh, uh, spring of his sophomore year last year in track I, I believe he was had a little bit nagging injury so he didn't put up those numbers here's the crazy thing we're never going to know on his track times because he's an early enrollee uh, but I'm guessing I'm guessing uh, that if he was staying in high school this year and put uh, the full effort in the track um, he's so football focused if he put the full effort in the track he'd run in the 10-6-10-7 range because he's a lot he is bigger now there you go all right. Hey, Chris Wood, we saw you just put in a super chat. No question attached to it. If you will send it normal, I'll make sure to fix that for you. And then uh, one prospect we haven't talked about, I don't think this week, at least not on this show, uh, DJ Dog 31 do we still have a firm date for Kobe Black's announcement? Jerry, what's the latest there? That's December 13th, next Wednesday, December 13th. Steve Sarkeesian um, uh, already made his in-home. That was Sunday. Um, I don't believe anybody else has made an in-home. But we'll see if that holds through the weekend. A, a news breaking uh, over the last hour from Horns 24-7. Uh, Makuba is reportedly saying that he is visiting Oklahoma, Texas, Oregon, Ole Miss, and Southern Cal next week. Uh, interestingly here, OU is where Brent Venables, Jerry, uh, was his former defensive coordinator uh, at uh, at the Clemson, now the head coach with uh, the Sooners. Uh, of course, uh, his head high school coach, Jamal Fenner is now the director of high school relations at the University of Texas. And I think one thing, one theme you're hearing with the major guys that go into the portal, you're hearing Oregon visits because there's some chatter. Walter Nolan may be at Oregon this weekend. Uh, so uh, that's uh, they're they're a major player in the portal market, especially after those two losses to Washington. Ooh, with better players, by the way, overall. Yeah, with a better roster. Yep. Uh, that that's what happens. Uh, Dan Lanning, I, I think that Oregon fans got ahead of themselves and they got out coached in that game and out executed. Yeah, with the Heisman Trophy front runner. Uh, this is interesting. That you know, Bo Nix was going to win the Heisman, Jerry. If he just had a, if if they would have beaten Washington, yes, Bo Nix was winning the Heisman, no doubt. Clearly, yeah. Okay. Today, I don't say that. No, you know, and so we'll we'll see whether it's Jalen Daniels. Out of uh, LSU, the other front runner, in my opinion, Michael Penix out of yeah. Washington. Uh, yeah. Knicks maybe second or third at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, Billy Gamble asked any, any word of Texas interest, interested in Matthew Golden. We'll go over some of this stuff because we have so many hundreds and hundreds of people joining the show as it goes on. Texas will have some level of interest in Matthew Golden. Correct. Right, Hey, Bobby, before we move on, if you're ready, I'm going to let you tell everybody about BKCW and escaping the insurance trap. Yeah, absolutely. Good good call there, Blake. I appreciate it. Uh, did your business have a frustrating insurance or employee benefits renewal this just this December or even in November? Uh, most likely you didn't hear from your agent all year long. And then right before it was time to renew, 
They delivered the bad news of a rate increase or needing additional insurance that you hadn't really thought about. When this happens, the agent is providing zero value and you're stuck in what we call the insurance trap. BKCW takes your business out of the insurance trap by providing you with actual risk management consulting, not just price quoting, operating out of their headquarters in Austin, Texas, and owned by a UT grad. BKCW uses a five-step process to identify your business's weak spots, design a plan, execute it, and monitor your situation. BKCW has already helped some of the most well-known construction companies, restaurant groups, breweries, and nonprofits in Central Texas escape the insurance trap. Go to BKCW or send an email, info at BKCW, to get started with a free risk assessment or claims audit and escape the insurance trap. All right. I want to thank them. And hey, guys, we got Drew Kelton coming up here in just a minute. Going to talk to him about well, everything Longhorn related. <laughs> Uh, hey, here's one from Spain. That's cool. I wish I was there. That's for sure. And then we have a couple of people. Summer under- baseball tournaments there, right, Blake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you looking online. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's where I need my son to go play for a little bit. Oh, man. We got a lot of people saying that they have, uh, like, here's one, for example, Patrick Page. I watched Xavier Filthamy play versus Longview this season. Oh, yeah. His speed is legit. I've had a couple of people say they've seen him in person. Yo, yo, look, I mean, if I said he was, if I said a guy's six foot 190, 192, and he and he would run 10 6 to 10 7, would you take it? Sign me up. <laughs> I, I think that's what people need to get. I mean, understand Texas is trying to get faster in the secondary right now. They've been more fit. They, first of all, Pete Kwiatkowski took what they had and put the more physical guys on the field. Uh, they added Michael Taff as more of an intelligent player, in my opinion, making sure he's always where you're supposed to be at safety. Ryan Watts, more physical. Terrence Brooks, more physical. Now they're trying to get both. They want the combo. They want the guys that are the potential first-round draft picks, like Derek Williams, right? So that's what we're looking at right now, and Texas is is, is going after those types of guys, whether it's Wardell Mack, uh, Kobe Black, um, you know, Santana Wilson, or now we're talking about Xavier Filsamy. Uh, they want the guys that can not only play, but run. And those are the guys that get drafted early. And those are the guys you're going to need uh, to be the best team in the country or the best secondary in the country. And I, I, I truly believe this right now, Texas is, they're picking from high cotton. I'll just put it that way, because the reality of it for the Longhorns is they've had two back-to-back top five classes. They're in the college football playoff. This is going to be a top five class, most likely. Coming off a college football playoff, Jerry, my guess is next year is a top five class. Yeah. So you're talking about four potential top five classes back to back to back to back. Uh, by the way, you know who's oh, done that? Another, no, it will be Georgia. It will be Georgia and Alabama and Texas and maybe Ohio State. That can That's the four. Them. That's the four. So, I mean, not even Michigan. No. And so just – as you start talking about what kind of what kind of arena are we are we playing in here, that's what we're talking about. That's, uh, that's as you say. Uh, you said high cotton, as Sark calls it, deep sea fishing, right? I mean, there there you go. Uh, by the way, um, we had a, a question about the uh, tall receiver Texas offered. I believe you're at, uh, talking about 2025 Emmanuel Choice. There you go, long and lean. That's him. Uh, look, I was by Lancaster High during the season. I'm a big Emmanuel uh, 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 Choice fan. Look, he is a legit six four and a half, one seventy five, one eighty. 
And you know kind of what I thought walking away watching him and then looking more at him on, on more junior video when it came out, he looks like the guys Washington has. And I'm not saying he's as fast as Rome, Romeo Dunze, but he has that catch radius, that length. And I'll tell you this, he's a fast starter. He is quick off the line, which I think will bear out because they expect Lancaster staff talking to those guys on the school visit, they expect him to go as low as 14-1 in the 110 hurdles this spring. If he goes from 14-5-5, 14-6 to 14-1, everybody in America is going to be after him. Because if you're 6'4 and a half, 175, 180, and you put up a 14-1 or 14-2 and the 110 hurdles, that's a rare thing as an athlete at that size. Everybody in the country will offer him if they don't offer him in December and January when they're, uh, coach, all the foot traffic goes through Dallas. Um, I, I, and I'll say this about him. I talked to Choi uh, – Talked to him when I was at Lancaster. I asked for off the record to, you know, kind of two schools that he always liked. Um, and he in Texas was one of those two. So Texas will have a really good shot if they make a uh if they make a push there. Oh, somebody's asked Damon Graham, Xavier uh Phil Simi's physicality. Uh look, if you talk to the uh, McKinney coaching staff, they think he's a, a very physical football player. They think that'll be the least. Uh, that'll be an easy transition for him because he has he's a physical player, physical mindset. Boy, that was easy. that was easy for Derek Williams too, guys. Yeah, I mean, look, they have a chance to have an elite secondary down the line if they keep recruiting these caliber guys. Yeah, I mean, Wardell Mack can go. I mean, Kobe Black can go. Santana Wilson can go. Yeah. So. We'll see how it all, all plays out. Aaron Ramirez, fourteen. That made me laugh. No longer off the record. Yeah, I said. I said if I, and I told uh, I said that that day if Texas offered him that I'd, I'd start talking about how much he liked Texas. I wasn't going to do that until Texas offered. All right, guys. We also want to thank Damon Graham. That was a super chat, Jerry, when he asked you about Xavier Field theme. So thank you, Damon. We appreciate that. And uh, looks like Drew Kelson is about ready to join us. So we're going to go ahead and bring him in here. And Drew, how's it going this morning? Drew, you got us, buddy. Yeah, I have a bit of an echo. Oh, What's, do you? It's okay. We're we're just all yeah. trying to see what hat you're going to wear today. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I figured I wanted to close out. I have a window. I was I was watching you guys. <laughs> One second. Uh, hey, uh, Blake, let him go behind the stage for a second as yeah. we continue our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, you guys, I tell you what, we'll do a super chat real quick yeah, while we're on Drew. How about that? Uh, because we have plenty of them lined up. Thank you guys for all the super chats. Chris Wood here. He says, Jerry, any chance Baron Brown enters the portal? He would be a true X replacement. Man, I don't have an I don't have the answer on that. But uh, if that guy ever jumped in the portal, the Kentucky receiver and kickoff returner, I mean, uh, that would be everybody going after him. I he was a five star, borderline five star prospect coming out of high school. I was one of the guys that in the rankings nationally at the time. I love Barry on Brown. Love, love him. He's got first round potential now. If that guy ever said, I'm out of Kentucky, everybody in the country would be after him. He picked Kentucky over Alabama coming out of high school, and Sark was the OC at Bama. Right, this next question, more of, a, I guess, a hypothetical, if you want to rewind the clock to a couple of years. Juan says, hello, who was, the, who was Texas' second choice if Sark wasn't the guy? Do you have intel on that? Maybe – yeah, you know who I think it was? It was uh it was uh Urban Meyer. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> no, there were actually they actually had a list of about seven or eight guys. There was no second choice after they figured out that uh, Sark was who they want. Sark was definitely interested, so they didn't have to go down to, to two through two through eight, basically. So once they knew who they wanted, a good week ahead of time. All right, guys. I think Drew is back. We're going to see if he's ready to go here. All right, Drew, we good now? Great now. Awesome. How you doing? How you doing this morning, Drew? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Uh, good. Hey, hey, Drew, uh, thanks for joining us here on Coffee and Football. Uh, Drew Kelson, I, I tell you what, it's that time of year, and I wrote about this this morning on the site, uh, about uh, the guys are starting to go home for a week or for a few yeah. days, for a long weekend. Uh, before they come back for bowl practice, uh, I know I talked to a couple uh, folks yesterday. They're headed back. To, they're headed back home. They're coming back on Monday, and they'll they'll kick it off. Tell folks exactly what that portion sounds like or seems like to to a player, where you go home for a, a long weekend and come back, and and what the bowl practice and everything even looks like. Yeah, it's it, this is the best time of year. Uh, it's a time of year where you get to heal up a little bit. Uh, you do get to go through, finish your finals, get school out of the way uh, so that you can focus fo solely on football. And then you get some time to get home uh, to your family and spend some time with family and maybe some friends back home. But but it's still all business. You kind of know when you go home, uh, you're going to be focused on really the, the task at hand. You're going home to kiss a few babies, hug mama, you know, go go catch up with a few people. But at the end of the day, you know, when you get back to Austin, it's it's strictly business. So uh, it really takes you back like you're going back to fall camp. Uh, the best part about um, really the bowl season um, is that you get, I mean, the number of practices you get, the number of reps you get, the number of the, the amount of time you get to develop players. Um, you know, I, I did think, you know, when we had that five and seven season in Sark's first season, it was probably the most ideal thing because he could get out and recruit and get in the portal and focus yeah. his time on that. Uh, but otherwise, this is what you want to be doing. You want to be playing in bowl season. Uh, but most importantly, or more importantly for us, uh, we're in the college football playoff. So uh, there's some real stakes here. Um, we, we have players who are preparing to play and put something on film, not just to have an opportunity to win a championship, uh, but to also, um, you know, play against the best competition on the biggest stage. Uh, and so that's going to be huge for a lot of guys who are coming back. And then you have guys who are going to be changing positions probably probably in the spring. I know Jelani McDonald is a guy who I'm excited to hear about him getting some reps at safety here soon. But, um, yeah, this is a season where guys are going to get a lot of reps uh, while other guys are healing up. And this is a this is it's really more about development this time of year and recruiting uh, as you really dial into the game as you get within, you know, 10 to 14, 14 days out away from game day. Let, let me ask you. Oh, Jerry, let me ask you to follow up on that real quick. Drew, when y'all were going to the Rose Bowl, okay, you came back just like you're talking about after finals. You went home for a weekend probably, came back after finals, started practicing, then went home for Christmas, and then flew to, to, to California, right? When did they start doing installation specifically for USC? Like, I know what you're, you're describing, get healthy, keep, keep your – body going when did y'all actually start installation for usc probably two weeks before from a mental perspective we start dabbling just kind of in general these are the types of techniques and schemes that we need to be efficient on and so we really focused on us two weeks out 
Um, we knew that there were certain schemes that we needed to be proficient in, but we weren't ready yet to apply it. So two weeks out, you're just focusing on you uh, and mastering some, whether it be certain routes and coverages and everything else that, that you that you need to get better on, regardless of who you're playing with. But then that week leading up to the game is when you apply it specifically uh, to that opponent, you start seeing why uh, you've worked on some of the things you've worked on the weeks leading up to that, that week of preparation. And so you always want to separate the actual preparation for the specific team from just prepar- preparing just your general team amongst itself on certain things that you need to do well. Um, so that's usually how that unfolds, but you really don't want to get too deep into game week and schemes and, and teaching uh, and really preparing for a team specifically um, too far out in advance because you can get burnt out. I, I, I Drew, I, I, I watched the, went back and watched the 05 series um, because I wanted to kind of see what you guys were saying. I know y'all were playing the greatest football team ever, so it's different. Um, but uh I want to just kind of go back and hear what some of the players were saying in that in that series. Jonathan Scott, you know, uh, talking about it now, you know, in that 05 series. And obviously you were part of that. So I wanted to know from you, you know, what was it like in the, in the locker room? What was I mean, uh, obviously different times, but how much how much chatter was there amongst y'all? Was it straight it was just straight business? What were kind of your feelings and some of the feelings of your closest uh, friends on that team. I mean, when do you start feeling okay? Everybody's nervous before a game like that. When do you start feeling it? When do you get that feel? Okay, this. Okay, we're getting close. Here we go, man. I mean, what was that process like looking back on it? Because it's a first look. It, this is the first time. I mean, oh nine, obviously, but you're what you're the only guy we talked to that's been there. So mm-hmm. I want to kind of get your thoughts. It's you know, it's funny because every team in this college football playoff is going to show up with the chip on their shoulder. Right. Uh, Someone doesn't think we're good enough. Someone doesn't believe in us. Someone thinks someone else is better. And I mean, everybody is going to find that chip. And our team that year, every game, we just we found that chip on our shoulder. Uh, But specifically playing against USC, we didn't need to look far. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was a 30 day commercial on how we were playing against the greatest team that ever touched the field. And what's crazy about it is we have immense respect for opponents. You have to respect opponents. I think people think when you're hyped up or you're ready or you're preparing for a game or even when you feel disrespected that you offset that or you offset that with with disrespect for your opponent. It has nothing to do with disrespecting your opponent. The facts are. We respect the opponents. We see them through and through. We see the film. We see who they are. And sometimes we even know who the opponents are. So it's when you don't feel like you're getting respect uh, from beyond maybe not just the team you're playing, but let's say it's media or just the, the, the dialogue or the discourse around the team or the game is just not that it's going to be a fair fight. I mean, that'll fire anybody up. You know, so uh, if you have blood flowing through your veins and and mind you, everybody's always looking for a chip to have on their shoulder. You absolutely that week, that month, every I mean, you would hear. I mean, they were comparing the USC team to like Notre Dame teams I'd never heard of. in the 80s. (laughs) You got educated on the history of college football before you were whooping, right? (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, I, I just what I did learn, though, it's still a team game. And, yeah. and when you prepare 30 days, when you have all this time to prepare, um, 
you really do get to see good on good, best on best, and you like to see guys show up. And so uh, we we knew we could play with them, uh, but no one else seemed to know. And so uh, I'm sure we'll have doubts this year. I'm sure we'll have doubters, but I'm, I'm also sure that that our guys are going to find an edge uh, mentally, and they're going to put that into way that into the way that they prepare for the game. Hey, by by the way, before your question, Bobby. It goes right to what Nick Saban said. Nick Saban was on the uh, Pat McAfee show yesterday. And what did he say? Well, we, you know, we had to play the number one team in America, Georgia, and we beat them. Now I've told our guys we're playing the number one team in America again, Michigan. So Nick is driving at home every day already. Are, are, we're, they're saying they're number one. Now they're saying Michigan's number one. Nick's in the, uh, he's in the driver's seat for creating a chip right now. Yeah. Hey, uh, Drew, any parallels between that 05 team that you see from the outside with this current Longhorn team? For me, it's probably culture. Um, and it's it's crazy. And I, I hate to, I mean, now everybody on message boards are concerned about the culture and and, and, and portal and who, what's going to impact the culture. Like everyone, everyone's dialed into we have a great culture, but I, it does matter, right? Um, and, and it does have to be organic. I think we were such a tight knit group um, and, and it probably wasn't as intentional in a way that 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 I know Sark and then this staff has been with creating culture. Uh, but I also think it's more needed in a way uh, now than it was before and being intentional. But we just had such great leadership, uh, such great connectivity. Guys loved being at the facilities, loved practicing, loved being around each other. It wasn't hard to get us to show up and go work. Um, and, and this this feels the same. Uh, this feels the same. I, I, I've told a few people just, just recently, I've really felt my, my struggle with NIL more than anything else is, are these guys going to actually show up and perform? Yeah. Um, you, you can't take it away once they get it. You know, it's one of these things. Like, how do we address this? Are guys going to have the passion, the love for the game, and the commitment to doing the work? Um, I, I spoke on the live stream, I think last week, you only play 12, 13, 14 games if you're lucky. You know, what are you doing the other 350 days of the year? And when you have money in your pocket, uh, when you're NIO, when you have all these obligations, you have all these commitments, that means you have limited amount of time you can actually put into the craft that's earning you this right to, to, to be able to have these opportunities. And so you need guys who are obsessed with this game. They love this game. They want to be around this game. They want to be around their, their teammates. They want to prepare. Um, and they're guys who want who, who are comfortable working in the dark. It's not all about what it looks like when the lights come on on Saturdays. Um, it really comes down to what are you doing when nobody's watching? And you need a culture and a team and a collection of guys to do that. And that's one thing that I can see that parallels this team uh, to the team that we have. I got another question for you. We were talking earlier about uh, what did you do in practice leading up to the Rose Bowl? That photo behind you, uh, by the way, did y'all happen to rep that play in practice? Yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> yes, we did. I saw it coming a mile away. Um, and I tell anybody, yeah, I had a head start on Reggie because I knew the play was coming. But at the same time, it, it's, 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 it, that's, what, that's what you get when you have a 30-day game. Um, you go to the basics. You know how to play your defense. But then there are some little things that they may try to catch your eye discipline off on. I mean – you motion Reggie across the formation. If you're not disciplined, if you're not prepared, uh, either prepared or disciplined. So either you're prepared for it, you've seen it before, you can do it, or you're disciplined enough to the rules that you know when you do see it, you know to run with it. And fortunately, 
Um, I feel like with 30 days to prepare, Coach Chiz dialed up all different types of things that they can do off of other plays. Um, but they have run this play multiple times throughout the year. It was just a matter of who was going to be disciplined enough to see it and who who actually had a guy who can run with Reggie. Exactly. And fortunately, I was a guy who could do both that day. Texas was the fastest team they had played and yeah. the team that could best defense them uh, yeah. when it, it, it was – yeah, that's a hundred percent it. Yeah. Hey, Drew, we appreciate you, dude. Get on. I know you got to get to work today, but uh, as always, you're you're a pleasure to talk to, and I know Longhorn fans appreciate uh, hearing from you. So that's Drew Kelson, uh, when on Texas football, coffee and football. We appreciate you, Drew. Have a good Friday. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good Look one. Everybody. I had to ask you about that photo in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah, yo, yeah. Know that. You had to ask. <laughs> I, I want to say this to all the people uh, that are on on uh, OTF this morning. If you haven't gone, if you haven't watched the 05 series on Longhorn Network, make sure you do because Longhorn Network is going away um, at some point here. Make sure you go and watch that uh, and try to. I would say try to watch it before the playoffs start. It's a really cool look back on everything leading up to that game against USC. And I went back just to see what Mac Brown was saying what Gene Chizik, Greg Davis, what all those guys were saying, because it was a good refresher for me, and I want to know if I was going to start hearing similar things from Sark and the staff. All right, guys. Well, you're watching Coffee and Football presented by BKCW. And, guys, we've had a lot of people join us since we started this show, so I want to go back, rehash what we talked about at the very beginning. Jerry, we'll start with Coaches on the Road. Can you give everybody a quick summary on that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Texas staff was out and about. Sark was in Dallas all day um, Thursday, and that included an in-home visit with uh, uh, Zena Omeozulu. Um, then he was with Parker Livingstone. Uh, and then he made the in-home with Xavier Phil Sami, the five-star uh, safety in Florida commitment. So he made official visits there. You see Sark and Blake Gideon uh, with Phil Sami uh, there Thursday night, the five-star safety uh, that's committed to Florida. He's scheduled to make his official visit to Texas December 15th through 17th. Billy Napier, D coordinator Austin Armstrong, and the new DB hire, who I believe should will be announced either Sunday or Monday, um, we'll, we'll make an in-home visit uh, next week as well before that Texas official visit. Uh, but the staff's out and about to short choices at IMG, seeing Jarrett Gibson yesterday. Um, I, I, I believe uh, Kyle Flood, I think, had in-home with Daniel Cruz yesterday. Um, now that Richland season has concluded. Um, and then co coaches have been out and about all week um, and will be again next week. Uh, Sark is scheduled to be in-home with Ryan Wingo, I believe, Saturday. Um, so, and I, and I put this out on a, a store on inside Texas, um, is that, uh, um, uh, Wardell Mack in home visit with Wardell Mack, Steve Sarkeesian, Terry Joseph, that's around nine, nine thirty this morning. All right, Bobby. And then the other big, uh, thing that we covered at the top of the hour or at the beginning of the show, excuse me, <clears throat> was the portal. And I'm going to let you give everybody the quick rundown on that one more time. Yeah, absolutely. In the portal, uh, Casey Kane, the, the wide receiver from New Orleans, has entered the portal, uh, joining Sawyer Gorham-Welch, the offensive lineman, Jalen Catalan, B.J. Allen, and Larry Turner-Gooden, the safeties, as well as Xavion Bryce. So those are the six uh, folks from the University of Texas who have decided uh, to go into the portal. Uh, there has been one major portal entrance uh, entrant of note in the last uh, day that Texas fans need to be aware of. And that's Matthew Golden, the wide receiver out of uh, the University of Houston. He at one time was committed to Texas, 
but then opted to stay closer to home uh, out of Klein, the Klein area down in Houston. Uh, he uh, he is one of the better kick returners in the country and uh, one of the better wide receiver prospects right now in the portal. Uh, but uh, Texas is expected to have major interest in Matthew Golden uh, in the portal. So maybe that's one of the guys uh, as we go forward. Of course, more than 3,000 overall players across the country have entered their name into the transfer portal. I And, and this is my personal thought of that. I bet only four to 500 truly find new homes yet, you know, have risked everything, their entire college education on finding someplace new. I don't necessarily think they will. Uh, a lot, they may find someplace, but it may be, it may not be a division one school or an FBS school. It, they may have to drop down a level and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, I think that market economics are going to come into play here. And the market is glut is glutted right now, not with great players, but with just okay players. That's the problem. Yeah, grass isn't always greener on the other side. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. All right. Well, Jerry, I hope you have your lawnmower ready. Speaking of grass. Great segue, Blake. Great segue, Blake. Always ready. Are we ready? Is everybody ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. The Manscaped Lawnmower 5.0. Santa, baby. The season for a fresh cut is finally here with the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming have just launched their fifth-generation performance package to help you avoid another silent night in the bedroom this year. Take care of your special snowflake with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra and watch your South Pole shine like never before. Get the best stocking stuffer of all by going to manscaped.com and using code ONTEXAS, all caps, for 20% off plus free shipping. And I can guarantee you this, Mrs. Claus will thank you. Starting with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, this is the crown jewel of the holidays and, dare I say, the best ball trimmer of all time. The Electric Razor's advanced skin-safe technology is a lifesaver and known for reducing nicks and cuts on your Santa sack. Nobody wants that. Manscaped.com on Texas, all caps. All right. I want to thank them for sponsoring today's show and every show this week. Okay, guys, we got a lot of questions to get to. Plenty of time to get your questions in, so please do so. And uh, let's take another super chat here. This one from Texas Too Tough. He says, who is the most important assistant or position coach that we retain? I'm sure they're going to start getting offers soon. 
Boy, there's that's, a, tough, that's a tough question. That really is. I mean, I would start with Bo Davis because I think he's a locker room guy. Um, but really, probably the one actually is is Pete Kwiatkowski. I mean, that if you really want to get down to it, because he runs the defense. We know Sark runs the offense. Um, I'm not saying that that uh, Pete Kwiatkowski isn't replaceable because he, he may be, but I really like the the I just like how the defense has come along the last three years. How could you not? They went from a team that couldn't stop anybody to a team that stopped a lot of people to a team that is one of the best defenses in the country in three years. And frankly, outside of you know, outside of Murphy, Sweat, and Jalen Ford. They should be better next year. They should be theoretically better. So if you find a defensive lineman, if Alfred Collins stays, if Sadir Mitchell gets better, you know, if Jeray Bledsoe adds some weight, though there there are potential replacements for those guys. So, and I in this recruit these recruiting classes are starting to fill up in ages, Jerry. That's the thing. People yeah. used to be, I mean, there was just nobody behind starters when Texas would lose them. When Charles Amenahu left, who replaced him, right? Those are the kinds of things that, that worried you. Now you have, when Demarion Overshone left, you have Anthony Hill ready, right? That, that's the, so I would say from that standpoint, I would go with the defensive coordinator. Now, Jerry, you may have a different thought. I know I know you uh, may feel somewhat different. Yeah, I, uh, so here's my thing. You don't want to lose any of the guys. I think that, I think Sark has a tremendous coaching staff. Moving to the SEC, I'd put Bo Davis and Kyle Flood 1A, 1B. Kind of the Bobby's point, 1A, 1B for me. Um, I mean, look, it's uh, I, I'm probably jinxing Kyle Flood here, but, I mean, how many uh, – he has done an exceptional job recruiting offensive linemen. How many of those guys have left? Yeah. I know they're being coached. I mean, uh, so – uh, I think it's flood and bow for me, considering they're going to the SEC and the continuity of three years with those two positions. I've got absolutely no problem with what. And, but to Bobby's point, I think Bo's got the uh, the maybe the biggest coaching job of anybody, which obviously he's proven he could do. I mean, look, before this season started, we uh, there was a conversations many on here inside Texas that uh, the interior run defense was going to fall off without. Coburn and Ojimo, that it got better. And I'm not saying it's going to be better than next year, but I think a lot of Texas fans were looking at that. Hey, we're not going to be as good against the run. We lost Coburn and Ojimo. Now look what happened. So it's important. That developmental piece is so important. Um, Tory Beckton's job with those guys is going to be very important. Um, it, but you're going to have to have a couple of those guys really make big steps between this year and next year. Tell them, tell the folks, Jerry, we were talking before we got on the air this morning. Tell the folks uh, what the Jones County assistant or head coach told you that Bo Davis told Terrence Hibbler uh, yesterday in the home in the home meeting or whatever with them. Tell yeah, folks. I mean, it, was, it was pretty it was just pretty perfect, in my opinion. Yeah. From what I was told by a, a source in Mississippi is that, uh, um, you know, part of that conversation consisted of, you know, we we have two all Americans here. Uh, you know, if you want to be the best player you can be and be a great player, just come develop with me. Period. Is it? Take up a pitch. 
And, and, and here's, here's here's the thing I would say too, sweet, baby. <laughs> here's the thing I would say about defensive uh, uh, line recruiting is I really think there's not a position outside a quarterback where the mesh between the coach and the player has to be really on point. It, it, defensive line is such a physical position. It is probably as much of a developmental position as anything. Offensive line, D line, right? And I'm so you have you're, you 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 want guys that are totally bought in to being a great player for you, especially in the day and age of the portal. For me, um, you don't see a lot of these D line guys jump in the portal. The highly highly recruited guys, Bear Alexander last year, which we had I think we had a question about that, um, but. You, there need has to be a certain mesh between a D line coach and the guys he brings in, especially if you coach guys hard. If you if you're gonna co- if you coach guys hard, and and you bring in guys that don't really are gonna buy into being coached hard, it's a waste of scholarships. I'll bring up that question that you were referencing there, Jerry. James Henson says, "Hook them, hey guys, with portal players, I keep hearing that they need to be a culture fit." Is that why we never pursued Bear Alexander previously? So I would say this. Um, um, Georgia didn't fight to keep him. And Texas didn't fight to get him. Yeah. I mean, and that look, doesn't mean, hey, by the way, that doesn't mean Bear Alexander won't be an NFL player. There's a difference. Bear Alexander will probably be a drafted player and an NFL player. Doesn't mean it just goes back to what I was talking about on D-line, though. How important that is. The mesh. All right. We're going to go to uh, this next question here from James Williams. He says, and thank you, James, for the super chat. I pray for Jonathan Brooks full health, but do you think Brooks was a crutch for the offense? And then once he went down, it made the offense run and tick at a faster and more quicker pace. You know, I brought this up yesterday, James. I think this is a good point. You know, Quinn Ewers was looking around for help early in the season. And you know who gave it to him? Jonathan Brooks. Well, come come Iowa State, Quinn Ewers didn't couldn't look around. He was looking at Jaden Blue and Cedric Baxter, two guys younger than him, right? So then I think that the focal point of the offense became Quinn and the receivers, not just the run game. So James, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, a lot, and I think Quinn. You know, he may not have taken the reins immediately, but I think over time he started realizing he could trust himself more and more. And then I, I look the game, the, the Quinn Ewers we saw against Texas Tech was a good player. This the player we saw against Oklahoma State was a great player. I, I think he made he is making a significant jump in front of our eyes. Think back to a year ago, Jerry and I have talked about this all off season. You're going to get incremental improvement, right? It's not just he went from a C to an A plus. It's going to be he was a C, then he's a B minus, then he's a B, B plus, and then all of a sudden next year, I think you're probably looking at an A, A plus quarterback. That that's my point, and that that's where Texas fans get, should get really really excited. At this next super chat is uh, from Michael Williams. He says, if I remember correctly, Mac Brown didn't like playing freshman. Why is that? I couldn't imagine our defense without Anthony Hill. Hook on. Well, I don't think it, he didn't like playing true freshmen. One, not as many guys were early enrollees. Times have changed in defensive coaches in the 90s, early 2000s. Okay, but B, he was a little slower with the process. And a lot of Texas fans hated that. What, 
Derek Johnson, Cedric Baxter. I mean, those guys became uh, Cedric Baxter. Sorry, uh, uh, Benson um, became more starters after OU game. That's the one thing that irked Texas fans. Uh, but I do think in defensive coaches back then, if there was no guys weren't early enrollees unless they were quarterbacks. So that has changed the game. If Mac Brown was at Texas today and he had 15 early enrollees a year. I guarantee you he'd be playing those guys earlier in the season, Bobby. He did play freshmen. Yeah, I don't he did. Say that. He just didn't like to give them starting roles. Exactly. Like Cedric Benson was ready to go the minute he stepped on campus. Yeah. But didn't really start seeing true playing in time until his sixth game and ended up being, uh, you know, the second uh, largest rushing leader of all time at the University of Texas. That, that, that was the – Mac was – the issue with Mac was I think he was slow on the draw. He wasn't slow to just put him in the games, but he didn't do – I really can't remember, and it's not the Anthony Hills of the world or Derek Johnson's, right? It's, it's a guy like Derek Williams. I can't really remember Texas and Mac Brown bringing someone along like Steve Sarkeesian and Pete Kwiatkowski brought along Derek Williams this year. There, there weren't just a couple of snaps here and there. They had a plan for him, and he played every single game. That's what. I, that's a true plan, right? That you actually see in go into action. I think that's the. It was the slow place of it. Uh, and, and people are mentioning Jamal Charles. Jamal did, you know, Jamal did, but he was still behind Selvin Young. Um, and Derek Johnson. I was just looked that up. He started. Texas Tech was his first start. So I'll look back and see what game that was his freshman year, but it wasn't early in the season. Yeah. But Jamal Charles caught a touchdown pass, I think, in the very first game of his career, but he that was in the third or fourth quarter. Yeah. Right. And Texas was up by 50 because Matt or because uh, uh, Vince was the quarterback. So my point it's easy to play those guys late, but, uh, and, and Charles had that wonderful run against OU, but, uh, anyways, he was just slow on the draw. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt about that. But uh, Sark, I think, has his guys understand it's a little bit different if you have a different caliber player, whether that's uh, Derek Williams, Anthony Hill, Malik Muhammad, any of those guys. All right, guys. This next question is from Jeff Carey, and I want to thank Jeff there for the super chat. He says, "Love the channel. It's great, detailed information." I think one of the keys this year is the growth of Sark. He developed into a top level coach. Better halftime adjustments, better second half play calling. I gotta say, I agree. Yeah, Blake, you're right, and so is Jeff here. Uh, he's developing too, guys. You got to remember. I mean, he's he's now older. You know, we we get we hope we get a little bit wiser and smarter as we get older. I, I wrote this yesterday as well that I think that part of it is his focus level. Yeah, he he did not take a real vacation this off season because now coaches are allowed to stay with the players and work out with the players and hang around them before the the coaching staff couldn't. It was just all the strength and conditioning staff. Well, now the coaches can be around. Um, And Sark wanted to be around this team. Um, And so I don't think it was just the X's and O's. I think it was the the real buy-in from him. And and I do think it's smart to take vacations. Don't not saying never take your vacation, but that was the right time for Sark to overcommit to that. Right. And he's getting, He's getting the benefit of that right now. Texas fans, uh, the Texas players, uh, all everyone getting the benefit of that, uh, in my opinion. 
Uh, well, we talked about Sark and how he's done this year, but uh, Lobo Bre- Loba Bread, excuse me, has a question about Chris Jackson. He said, how would y'all grade Jackson's first season as wide receiver coach? I think he's gotten more out of the position group than the two previous in Sark's regime. Well, yeah, I think I think that. I think, look, um, he has better players. He has more experienced players. I mean, you know, somebody had Xavier Worthy as a true freshman when he didn't play his senior year because of COVID. So think about that if you're a college-wide receiver coach. I mean, he Xavier Worthy missed his senior year. Then he comes to Texas, and he's a true freshman who lost a year of high school football. That's just like Quinn Ewers without the year of redshirting in college. So you're talking about a very raw receiver that's very talented that hadn't played in a year. Uh, so get to give a little bit of help to the former guys there. But look, Jordan Winnington had had multiple position moves, right? Settled in at receiver. I mean, the one thing about Chris Jackson, uh, they're catching the football. They're running good routes uh, at a high, high percentage, right? Quinn can trust those guys. If Quinn can trust those guys, I normally say wide receiver coach has done a good job because the quarterback says, I trust where these are going to be guys are going to be on the field and that they're going to catch the football. Um, but I think this is, look, it's, he's done a really good job. It's the most experienced receiver core Texas had. It's the most talented receiver core Texas has had. And I think that's why Sark brought in Chris Jackson because he brought in an adult to coach adults. I I would add this to you guys. Um, I don't think you're going to see his true value. Like he may have imparted some of this true value this year, but to Jerry's point, he had three-year starters and a four-year starter. Um, His his true value will be what do Ryan Niblett, DeAndre Moore, and Jonte Cook look like next year. Yeah. Right. Um, that's when we'll see that true value, I think, emerge. Uh, you know, it, a first and second round pick is what Texas has right now at wide receiver predicted. Uh, and then you think Jordan Whittington might go late in the draft. You know, you, so at some point, you just need to manage the room. Right. We talked about that. That's kind of what he did this year, in my opinion. I, I do believe that one thing that picked up as the year went on, and I do credit the coaching staff for it, is Adonai Mitchell's blocking effort. Yep. It got consistently better. He understood more where he was supposed to be and what they were asking him. So they they clearly did that. But, you know, did they improve the routes of Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy? Uh, you know, that, that's hard to do in a single year. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with the young guys coming up. So we talked about the head coach. We've talked about the wide receiver coach. Now we're getting a lot of questions about the future of the linebacker coach. I'm going to combine a couple of them. Uh, Kevin Randolph, hello from Comanche County, Texas. Not asking for names, but have y'all heard names for the linebacker coach? And then I also want to go ahead and add in this super chat here. Uh, while we're on the subject from Biggins, Minnesota, or Ilmian. And he said, and thank you, Biggins. Do you guys think that Texas will go after Colton Swan from Utah for linebackers coach? He's done a fantastic job in Salt Lake. Yeah, we mentioned his name on here uh, either yesterday, day before. Eric Nalene mentioned that uh, as well. Uh, so I, I do think that that's a possibility. I would not guarantee that it's going to be a January announcement, though. I mean, look, Brendan Marion left in early January or in December of last year, Jerry, uh, for UNLV. And he didn't, and Sark didn't announce a wide receivers coach until February. So I I don't think Sark doesn't approach these hires. Like he kind of approaches it like he does with recruiting. Wait, I want to see what all's out there. I want to really do my research, figure it out. 
And then once I figure out who I want, I want to stay on them. So that doesn't, you know, uh, arbitrary timelines like that. Oh, well, we got to have one by January. I don't think that's how he sees it. Yeah, I think the only reason if he did do something in uh, mid to late January is would align with your elite junior day visit, which I believe last week, last year was January 21st. So if he has a hire he's comfortable with, I could see it leading up to that. If not, like Bobby said, he's not going to be in a rush. All right. We have another super chat, guys. This next one from Jay Lee. And Jay says, hopefully our secondary can use all that that's Texas' biggest weakness talk and use it as motivation to play good against Washington. Hope so. Hope it improves their speed, too. <laughs> you know, but I will – hey, something to be said for what Drew Kelson said to us early, guys. He had seen their offense so much on tape. He was a step ahead of that. Yeah. Don't forget that. Yeah. That, that if, if you're a football – nut like Jade Barron is, you may get there a step earlier. Jaron Thompson, remember he had a great game against Alabama in part because he was he had been watching him all off season. You know, so I I, I hear you and I, I hope the, the secondary does have a, a great game because if they can stop and mitigate the pass against Washington, then I think that they'll be fine on run defense. So that's you know, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about it necessarily in that that capacity. Uh, we're going to stay on the secondary for a minute and get a little more technical here. As Joseph Gomez asked, what are the differences between safety and cornerbacks in terms of attributes and skill sets that are important, such as speed, athleticism, tackling, hands, intelligence, etc.? I personally think cornerbacks need more length um, and need more outright speed. Um, the rest, I don't necessarily think is it, tackling. I think you need to be a better, a safety. You need to be a better tackler overall, a cleaner tackler. Doesn't mean you can't also be a good one at, at corner. Um, and, it, and, and the word isn't intelligence, by the way. Um, so it's more, if you play corner, you literally, it, 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 it's not that it doesn't take intelligence. It's just, it's more of a reactive game. Whereas I think it's safety, it's a more see the game scenario. You have to see what's transpiring. You have to figure out which route you need to cover over the top. You need to figure out, you know, based on a multitude of issues. It's more about seeing the game at safety than it is feeling the game at corner for the most part. Uh, to that point, uh, you know, when I was ESPN Under Armour, uh, Under Armour game every year, uh, whether it was Herm Edwards who coached one team, Deion Sanders who coached the other, being around those guys. You know what they told safeties? Eyes. That's People have that. It's part of the drinking game, eyes for safety. I always joke about it. I Those guys drilled that home to the best defensive backs and safeties in the country at that game every year for a week. Herm Edwards really did. He, I mean, he really put – he said, I, I'm going to put you through the eye test this week. That's what he'd tell the top safety recruits in the country. Very interesting. I have a super chat here from Orlando Rivera. And Orlando says, in your opinion, what did Oregon State and Arizona State do to keep Washington's high-powered offense at bay? And can Texas replicate their effort or even do better? Yeah, uh, Arizona State played man press with cover two behind it. And I have no clue about Oregon State. Yeah. I have no clue. Man press 
with cover two behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Against ASU. Um, and uh, and I'll say or ASU against Oregon. I'll say this. I mean, ASU did have some wider. I mean, Washington had wide receiver injuries at that time. So it may have been easier to do that successfully. Hmm. All right. Jay Lee has another super chat. So thank you again, Jay. He said, last 20 years, only one team, which was Cam Newton's Auburn team, has won a national championship with a team that is not in the top 25 total defense. Washington is not in the top 25. I think that's a, I think that's a great um a, a great stat and uh, that's worth the super chat. I should have we I should have super chat pay Jay Lee for that one. Um, <laughs> but that's a great stat. Um I, I would say, you know, look, when you look Washington's probably being a two seed's a great thing for them. If they had to play Michigan in the first round, I think it'd be in trouble. Because because Michigan would run the ball on them and play keep away, and that offense wouldn't be on the field. Well, uh, Washington's probably uh, pretty lucky they're not playing Michigan round one. Uh, we have a super chat here from UT Parking, and bear with me here because it's kind of a two-parter. He says, why take two wide receivers in the portal when Cook is margin hook certified and DeAndre Moore seems to have the right stuff? I also think Niblet with his 10.41 speed is going to be a major weapon eventually. And then he follows that up with, Golden Cook, Moore, Wingo, and Niblet feels like enough firepower. I think the question there, I think the thing there is you could take one, you could take two. We'll see where it all turns out. Uh, but I, you, you got to have experience. There's, uh, I, my, you know, my thing with college football, especially if you're blue blood, there's no excuse not to be an experienced team. And I think through that, having an experience at positions, it tests which of your young kids are 100% bought in and have some patience with their development, understand the process. Uh, if kids blink on that, you probably got the wrong kids. I, I think you have to have adults in the room. I, I just do. I mean, I'm not saying Jonte Cook's not going to eventually be one. He's probably already a little bit of a dude right now, you know, but Moore and Niblet have, what, 25 snaps between them, and you want to count on them 100% next year? That would be if I'm a football coach and I, if I'm not, I'm not talking about the receivers coach, by the way, I'm talking about the head coach. No chance. No chance. I'm going into the, to the, the season with that, that, that would be foolish. That'd be foolish. Like not having a backup plan. Um, somebody Corey J asked about Gibson, um, uh, Jarrett Gibson, uh, to short choices at IMG yesterday. Uh, my source at IMG, um, you know, so some, you can always be wrong. This guy's been pretty good over the years. Would be very surprised if Jarrett Gibson didn't sign with Texas December 20th. Does that mean uh, Florida is going to stop going after him? No. Uh, I talked to Jarrett yesterday around 10 a.m. I, I published that on Inside Texas. Uh, but uh, Jarrett said he he's not planning on making official to Florida uh, as of yesterday at 10 a.m. Could things change? Always. All right, Bobby, before we move on to the next questions, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there how to escape the insurance trap. Yeah, operating out of their headquarters in Austin, Texas, BKCW is owned by a UT grad. They use a five-step process to identify your business's weak spots uh, as it relates to insurance. They design a plan, execute it, and monitor your situation throughout the year so that you can lower your insurance costs and effectively manage your company's risk. BKCW has already helped some of the most well-known construction companies, restaurant groups, breweries, and nonprofits in Central Texas escape the insurance trap. And it all starts with a free risk assessment. Go to bkcw.com or send an email to info at bkcw 
to get started with a free risk assessment or claims audit uh, and escape the insurance trap. We appreciate them and their sponsorship of each and every Friday, Coffee and Football. Thanks, guys. Okay, y'all, this next super chat uh, is going to be about next year, and it's from Johnny Epps. He says, not looking ahead too much, but next year's home game schedule is so intriguing. Oh. Is there any specific game y'all are interested in attending? And oh, you- yeah, 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 yeah. Look, it's Georgia, and here's why. Um, because uh, I think Texas fans, here's what they should do. I think this is show the young Texas students. I think this will show great appreciation for World Muschamp. All of you guys listening, go out and get your headset, put some fake blood on your cheek, have a whiteboard and punch it the whole game, and show your appreciation for Will Muschamp, what he did at Texas. That game's going to be a blast because I'm here to tell you, the two talent, the rosters combined in terms of talent is going to be just like when Alabama uh, came to Austin. And uh, would this be uh, – guys, somebody will know this. I should know this. I don't, but there's so much going on. Has Georgia – ever played a game at the University of Texas before? I can't remember one. That makes it awesome. It's been it's, it's been at least 40 years if they have. Yeah. Um, I, I would say the games I'm ready for are Georgia and Florida at DKR. Away, I got to be honest, I'm so ready. Um, to, I'm so ready to go to the big house and see the Longhorns play at Michigan. Really, really ready. Excited about that. I want to tailgate. I want to go there a couple days early and hang out. The whole nine yards. That's that's probably the, the road trip I'm most excited about. All right. So Georgia and Texas have played five times. Only one of them has been at DKR. None of uh, none of them have actually been on Georgia's campus. The other four are all neutral sites. Okay. Where when was the when was the home game for Texas? That was Saturday, September twentieth, nineteen fifty eight, and Georgia lost to Texas thirteen to eight. There you go. There's a good reason I didn't know that answer. Yeah. I'm sure somebody on this chat was there, actually. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, y'all. We got a couple more super chats we got to knock out. Scott Russell says it's great that Joe D. Camillus helped Sark with clock management this year. Can you talk about the role of all the all the special assistants this year and their success? Well, it's my understanding that uh, uh Paul Christ was uh particularly involved in the run game, uh, some run fits uh, in different blocking alignments that he was helping Sark with and, and why he, they did certain things. I don't know how much of that Sark adopted, though. I mean, I I don't. Um, he also was uh, doing some overall look at the team, et cetera. Uh, he is a former head coach. Uh, on defense, uh, Payam Sadat, uh, I think he was working with the linebackers and the defensive line and kind of coordinating those two together along with Jeff Choate, Pete Kwiatkowski, and Bo Davis. As far as Joe D. Camillus, and I told this story yesterday, uh, he's the special assistant, former former Dallas Cowboys special teams uh, coach. He is at Texas now as the Jeff Banks special assistant for special teams. Um, this story is crazy. During the year this year, he was riding on his bike. I think he's either riding his bike or walking his bike. Yeah, he and was he riding. Hit, he got hit by a car right? Ends up going to the hospital, either had shoulder surgery or arm wow. surgery or something. You know, all this, you can only imagine getting hit by, I'm truly hit by a car. He's on the field on Saturday in, in an arm sling. Not many people noticed and some people may have, but yeah, the guy's tough as nails, but 
he helped set up a lot of returns, I think, Jerry. Yeah, and yeah I want to give Joe DeCamillis credit for that because I, I happened to be hit by a car cycling in uh, late 2018. And I didn't get out of bed for four days. I, from what I was told, he had he had a he had shoulder surgery. Was back coaching two days later. So, uh, you know, <laughs> he's also the you know he also was hurt when the Cowboys facility. The, remember the, the uh, back in I, I can't 2011 is that right? Yeah, uh, the Cowboys facility fell down from the tornado in in the Dallas area. So that don't I mean he's he's been through it a little bit. Blake, don't pull up a picture of a cat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did we lose Blake? Maybe I think we may have lost Blake. He's freezing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, let I tell you what. Uh, we'll we'll keep going here. And guys, uh, as we as we talk here, Jerry, you and I about uh, the game and uh, whatnot for uh, this weekend, or not for this weekend, but for the January one time frame. I, I want to take a, a thought here and step back and say, what are some of the things? that you think Texas needs to do uh, to come out, come away with a win. Not, I don't need a long yeah, draw. Yeah. Just a couple things like stop the pass. I mean, what, what is it? I think edge play and outside linebacker play are going to be so critical in this game, uh, especially if they're slide protecting. Uh, I, I think those positions have to be on point. They also run, look, uh, DeBoer runs that little quick toss, that little quick toss pitch and, uh, in the run game, I think the edges and outside linebackers have a ton on their plate in this game, and their ability to rush the passer, I think, is going to be so key because if Texas doesn't get home, disrupt timing in the pass game uh, enough, then Washington's those longer developing routes turn into huge chunk plays against teams. Uh, I think offensively uh, for Texas, I think if the offensive line, look, Washington has length uh, on their defense, they may not be. Um, quite as talented as a couple of teams Texas has played, especially Alabama defensively on, on the front seven. I think Texas actually has a chance, and I expect it to be a high-scoring game. It's it's on the turf. It's indoors, and there's too many fast players. I think Texas has a chance to run the ball well in this game against Washington. All right, this is the Friday morning coffee and football brought to you by the folks at BKCW. They worry about the insurance trap for your business, so you don't have to. Uh, I'm Bobby Burton, joined by Jerry Hamilton. We've got Blake Monroe back in here. He had, he had lost the internet there for a little bit, Blake. Uh, appreciate you coming back. Let's go to our next question here from Sonny V. Uh, if Saban decided to call it a career and Sark was killing it like he is now, think he'd have interest in Bama or would the don't follow a legend rule occur to him? If anybody, I know 10 million a year is 10 million a year, but Sark will be making that at Texas. Um, I, I would not be the one, the guy that follow Nick Saban at Alabama guys. I mean, that just, it'll be somebody that says, Ooh, I like their roster. Yeah. I like my own. I'm going, yes. there. I, I will, I will say this Sark clearly, by the way, Jerry and Blake and everyone else out there has a true affinity for his time in Tuscaloosa. Yep. He's very, very grateful for it. Not just as a, a football coach, but, I mean, he had some surgery there that was very serious. No. And he has some affinity for the doc some doctors there and people that helped him through that personally. So there is a true affinity there, but I don't think uh, – you don't leave Texas whenever you're building the roster that you're to, – to go – and granted, Alabama's building a roster too. 
It's just not how it works. Somebody without the roster will go there. By, by the way, um, I mean, the call-in shows for Bam after the Texas loss. So good luck than being the next coach after Nick Saban. <laughs> they wanted him to retire. The game has passed you by, Nick. You need to move on. You think that he's not? he wasn't smiling when he got in the college football playoff, when people told him that he was just – the game yeah. had passed him by? Chuck, Chuck Mason said Dan Lanning is going to Bama. I could see Dan Lanning, uh, since he told AM he had no interest in uh, flying to Easterwood Airport. Um, I could see Dan Lanning you know, being at Alabama or Florida. Hey, Jerry, we, we need to probably get going here pretty soon, but I want to go back over the guys left on the board for Texas. Yep. Um, you know, Solomon Williams, defensive end, edge out of Tampa, Carrollwood Bay. We've been talking about Xavier, Phil Samee, uh, the, the safety out of McKinney. Terrence Hibbler, interior defensive lineman uh, out of Mississippi. Kobe Black, uh, the cornerback out of Waco Conley. Uh, anybody else? I mean, is, I know they've tried to talk to Dominic McKinley, but we don't know where that is right now. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, they're trying to maintain contact with Dominic McKinley. Well, I just – there hasn't been anything super positive there for Texas. Um, you know, you mentioned Terrence Hibbler, Alex Foster, Bo Davis went by to see Alex Foster this week, the Baylor commitment, who's a big upside guy. Obviously a guy like Terrence Hibbler, uh, would be ahead of him. Uh, Ori Williams is a kid that I think Texas maintained some contact with the offensive tackle from San Marcos committed to LSU, but it's very unlikely he does something. Families, uh, dad sides from New Orleans family or LSU fans, obviously. So I think, uh, I think it's pretty – Texas went out the modern day. They made one last uh, – gave one last conversation to DeAndre Carter, but it looks like he'll stick with Auburn. Uh, so I think that's pretty much where it's at. I, I, Bobby, did you mention Hunter Andrews? Oh, I did not. I did not. Okay. Great. So Hunter Andrews out of Magnolia, the uh, athlete linebacker that Texas offered. Decent chance he'll be make an official visit to Texas December 15th through 17th. Will he show up at A&M this week? And he's a Utah commitment. Um, so we'll have to see what happens there. There you see Hunter Andrews had a, a tremendous uh, senior season at running back. It's about 6'2", around 215, and, and he's a legit 4'5 guy. Uh, Utah's recruited him as an athlete slash linebacker, with linebacker being the primary uh, of where that would go. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Somebody's asking about Ja'Cory Brooks, the Alabama receiver that went in the portal. I'd be surprised. He got paid. He got. He lost his spot at Bama. Uh, to some good players. I, that one would surprise me. All right, guys, we got time for just one or two more questions. And uh, hopefully y'all didn't go over any of these while I was out for those few seconds. But Bo Tex knows, says, haven't seen Washington play this year. Do they play up-tempo? Up-tempo seems to be our kryptonite more than anything. They can. They can. They don't necessarily. They're pretty deliberate on offense. Yeah. Uh, especially when they're in control of the game. I mean, he likes to shorten the game and do that stuff. But they, there, he is a lot like, and I know that he's a lot like Mike Gundy from that st standpoint. Like he can play it, he can run it against you, he can throw it against you. He's going to take what you give him a little bit. Um, uh, and I'm talking about Kellen DeBoer, the the head coach at, at Washington. But they're not just up tempo; they can do it, but that's not their core offense. All right, then this will be the last. I'm, I'm, lo I'm looking right now while you read that question. Were they ranked in college football in uh, snaps per game? So keep go on. Nod that answer shortly. Okay, 
Oh, this will be the last one for today, guys. Emmanuel Villafranco. He says, do you feel like safety and edge are the last two remaining positions where Texas doesn't have elite players as of right now? Well, I think Derek Williams is going to be that. I think it's possible Ethan Burke becomes that right now. I think that's, guys, he's a, he's a sophomore and just now focusing on football for the first time. In, I mean, his last two years is the first time he's ever focused on football. He keeps growing. He, he's going to end up in that category. And then you had Colin Simmons on the way as well. Some of these other safeties Texas is recruiting right now. Uh, I, I don't think there's going to be any spot on the roster that at least at the freshman to senior level that doesn't have a dude. So here, to answer that question about Washington, Washington, Texas is 26th in NCAA in snaps per game, 73 and a half. Washington is 99th to answer that question, 65.8 snaps per game offensively. So they are uh, very deliberate on offense. Kalen DeWar, he likes to be in control of that clock and play to play. And, and he, he like Sark, he uses a lot of pre-snap movement. So yep. you can't be up-tempo yep. necessarily if you're using a ton of pre-snap uh, movement. By the way, to that point, I talked to a uh, assistant coach in the Pac-12, said there was some sort of pre-snap motion every single play against the team he coached. Every single play, the whole game. All right, guys, before we get out of here, Bobby, let everybody know what they can expect later today on On Texas Football. Well, absolutely. I'll do that. Uh, Jerry and uh, Rod got together for a little talking ball, or uh, actually QB room. I think they're going to have that. Uh, we've got uh, me, I, myself, and Jerry and Rod are back at 1 o'clock today, our uh, Friday afternoon uh, uh, show live stream brought to you by Andy Ludicky and MyPerfectFranchise.net. We'll be going at one to two today, so join us for that. And then tomorrow we got the Saturday conversation, uh, as well as we're going to talk a little football theory. We did not have football theory last night uh, because Ian had to uh, uh, had to take that today uh, because he had a personal issue to to deal with. So he's going to uh, release that. We're going to release that on Saturday afternoon. And of course, always visit us at Inside Texas. Uh, that's where Jerry, myself, and the gang all uh, writing. Uh, for that pro or for the the site as we speak uh so look uh enjoy enjoy your weekend i hope you do uh longhorns uh now two and a, or a week and a half from national signing day uh, a lot of recruits coming in not this weekend but next weekend that looks like it'll be the first big recruiting weekend maybe texas sneaks somebody in this weekend and then, Jerry, before we get out of here, we're going to ask you, what are you going to be keeping an eye on today and this weekend that maybe people can catch over at Inside Texas? Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I think it's where the Texas staff is going to be on the road. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian will make an in-home with Ryan Wingo. The staff will probably be out watching some high school playoff games tonight. So where will that be? That could tell you some interest in some 2025 or younger players. Where will the tax Texas staff be? on the road. I have a pretty good idea on a couple of them. We'll, we'll talk about that a little later at Inside Texas. Uh, but that's what I—that's really what I'm watching for uh, this weekend um, is, is that. And, you know, look, any, anybody else jump into the portal? I mean, it, it's, I think there's going to be more guys jump into the portal. Maybe we hit a little bit of a quiet period until some early, some mid-December, late-December bowl games. Uh, but, Bobby, I would say this. If guys jump in the portal late in December – they're probably going to jump into the portal with a do not contact. Interesting. Because it closes January 2nd, right? I mean, so how much 
there there's a there's classes start a lot of places like January what 17th in that area code 15th through 17th so uh I think I'm interested to see how many do not contacts there are in late December that jump into the portal All right, uh, that's going to do it for today's Coffee and Football. Uh, I'm Bobby Burton, uh, joined by Blake Monroe and Jerry Hamilton, uh, sponsored by our folks at uh, BKCW. For Blake, Jerry, uh, I'm Bobby. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you Monday on another Coffee and Football. Going to be talking a lot of recruiting action, seeing what's going on in the portal. Uh, Y'all have a good weekend, man. Take care.